Um, we've been in a study in the book of Genesis. It's the, the first book in your Bible, so if you have your Bibles tonight, go ahead and grab those, open those up. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. Uh, we just finished Genesis 39. We're going to skip over 40 for tonight and, and get into 41. And uh, the, <clears throat> the last couple of things that we've seen, you know, from the life of Joseph, specifically, that's the guy we've been looking at, uh, Joseph's life is, is up, and then it's down, and then it's up again, and it's down, right? He's, he's not changed through all of it, though. He's held uh, a high level of integrity, whether things are going great in his life or whether things are really taking a dive. Joseph stays steady, right? And so we're looking at Joseph, and we're saying, man, I want to live a life like Joseph. I want to react to life like Joseph does. I don't want life to, to go down and, and me to go down with it and, and just everything fall apart. You know? So uh, we've been looking at integrity you know, in adversity, the, the adverse situations that Joseph had. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we saw from Romans 4, uh, verses 20 and 21, we saw a couple of comparison verses. This is from the life of Abraham, when God made Abraham some promises that that looked on the surface, and even below the surface, looked to be impossible for those promises to come true. But God made the promises, and, and, and this was Abraham's response. We see it in Romans chapter 4, 20. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also, or he was able also to perform. Right, so God made a promise to Abraham. It looked like on the surface this is not a possibility. God, you're promising me something that, that cannot come true. But God cannot lie, and Abraham knew that. So Abraham didn't stagger when God said something that sounded a little bit weird, a little bit crazy. He said, okay, you say it, I believe it, I'm sticking with what you have to say. I believe you're able to perform the impossible, was what Abraham was saying. Okay, and so... What we have on the top of your notes there, it says where we've been. Joseph's integrity was directly linked to his faith in God's promises. Right? The, the reason that Joseph, the re what we've seen over and over and over, what, what Joseph had, when life went down, Joseph didn't go down with it. When life went high, Joseph didn't get prideful with it. Is because Joseph had faith in what God had told him. Right? And we looked... A couple of weeks ago, God made some promises to Joseph when he was a young man, and his brothers hated him for it, and his father doubted him for it, right? And he stuck to those promises. And none of that stuff has yet come true in Joseph's life, but Joseph is steady because he believes what God promised him, right? And so we've seen that. So, you know, tonight we're not going to focus necessarily on integrity. We're, we're going to shift gears here. So the connection from that little statement you know, to, to our message is really just to get your minds in and your pens scribbled, right? Your, your pens are all right and good. You're ready to go. You're ready to take some notes. Okay. So tonight we're going to shift gears. Uh, you're, you guys all to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 40, the, the chapter we skip over, is where Joseph has been put into prison. Remember, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Potiphar believes her or at least is in a position where he can't do anything about it throws Joseph in prison. Joseph is put in charge in the prison, and he interprets some dreams of some of the prisoners, and that's basically what's going on in chapter 40. And we'll see a couple of verses uh, in a little bit, but, but mostly we're going to get into 41. 41 starts off 
Uh, it's a really long chapter. We're not going to read all of it. Uh, so the first part there, verses 1 through 9, we see Pharaoh has some dreams. He's the king of Egypt. He has a dream, and, and nobody can interpret it. Nobody knows what his dream means, and it's really bothering him. Uh, so he's asking around and asking around, and then all of a sudden, one of the guys that was in prison with Joseph and had gotten out had his dream interpreted correctly. It came true. He was like, oh, man, I totally forgot. There's a guy back in prison who, who interpreted my dream. I bet he could help you out, Pharaoh. Right? That, that's the guy. Call that guy up. And so, so Pharaoh calls on Joseph, brings him out of the prison, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 14. So Genesis 41, verse 14 there's a lot of words here, so I better take a drink first. And I promised to stumble a few times. All right, so then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself, and he changed his raiment, and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, in my dream, behold, and Joseph go, or Pharaoh goes on to tell this dream, we'll skip a few verses for time's sake, he says, I, I had a dream, there was a seven big fat healthy cows, and then there was seven skinny, scraggly, unhealthy cows, and the seven unhealthy cows came along and ate the fat cows, and they were still skinny and, and, and nasty looking, right? And then, and then I had another dream, and there was seven ears of corn that were big and full and healthy, and then there were seven other ears of corn that were, you know, beaten by the east wind, it says. They were, they were drought-ridden and unhealthy, and they ate the other ears of corn. What the heck does that mean? That's, that's basically, what, what, what's that mean, Joseph? That's why I brought you out of prison. Okay, so that's the, the, the quick version of, of what he told him in his dreams, and you can read that for yourself. So he in uh, verse 24, he says, And I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. I explained these dreams, and nobody could explain what they meant. Verse 25, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind, that's a type of cow, are seven years. The seven good ears of corn are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years, and seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. There shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. Verse 32, And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land, of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities, and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and the land that the land perish not through the famine. So what's going on here 
Joseph says, look, the, the, the basics of your dream, seven big fat cows are seven big fat healthy years. Seven unhealthy years to follow, right? There's going to be a famine after the, the, the massive plenty that's going to come in seven years. So what you need to do is in these next seven years, you need to find somebody really smart, somebody really discreet and wise, so he can put all of that food away in store for the, for the seven years of famine, all right? So that's, what, that's where we're at right now. And then at, at the, the next part of this chapter, it says, verse 37, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such an one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah, that's a guess, and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much. This is a really long story. There's some really important basics that uh, we need to be reminded of, I believe. And uh, just pray that you would help us to see those basics, uh, help us to remember those things day by day and and to apply them to our lives. Just uh, pray that you would open our eyes to your truth and uh, just uh, remind us of what an awesome book this is. Uh, Thank you for the stories that actually happened. This is history. This is not just fables. This is things that actually happened and you were able to weave incredible truth through all of this history, Lord. And I just pray that you reveal that to us tonight. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So all of this crazy thing going on, what's happening here in this story is that God is communicating to a pagan king who does not know him as Lord, right? Doesn't know him as his own God through a dream or a a series of dreams. And at this time in history, that's how, that's one of the ways that God communicated with mankind. Sometimes he communicated through dreams. There was no Bible yet, right? This is Genesis. The book of Genesis was all happening. It wasn't written until Moses wrote it down later. God told him the events that happened and told him what to record and how to record it, right? He put it all down so that we could have it. And uh, the title of, of tonight's message is just God has something to say, right? God has something to say. Throughout history, he said it in different ways. He's communicated in different ways. He communicates today, and we'll see this in a little bit. He communicates today to us, certainly through circumstances, certainly through people, but mainly, specifically, it's all going to be through his word. And all the circumstances and all the people that are talking to you and speaking in your life, you can confirm whether they agree with God or not because you have his completed revelation, right? So we know where to go to get God's communication today. But it's interesting, in in verse 16, we'll look there, but before we get to that, the the first point is that God has a message of peace. God has a message of peace. 
Pharaoh had a problem. He had these weird dreams. He didn't know what to do with them. He didn't know what it meant. He had a message from God, and he didn't know what that message was. Verse 16 says, Joseph answered, answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. I'm not the one that's going interpret to interpret your dream. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Right? So God is speaking here. If we look in verse 25, I don't think it's on the screen. You'll just have to look in your Bible. Verse 25 says, God showed, God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. God is communicating. Verse 28, God is about to do what he showeth unto Pharaoh. Verse 32, God will shortly bring it to pass. He's letting you know something really important, Pharaoh. You have been, cre- you have been communicated to by the God of the universe. Right? If we look over in the book of Daniel, there's another instance of God communicating through dreams. And Daniel 10, 21, this is an interesting one. Uh, I, I don't have the whole story here for time's sake, but verse 21 says, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. Excuse me, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. So this, this little snippet doesn't make any sense by itself, but there's a key word in there, and that word is scripture, right? Daniel has received a vision in, in this chapter. He's received a vision. He doesn't know what it means. He's just like Pharaoh, he's like, I, I don't know what to do with this. But he, unlike Pharaoh, Daniel knows where the answer is at. So Daniel starts praying and fasting, and he's praying to God for an answer. And he prays for 21 days before he gets an answer from God. God sends a messenger and says, hey, this is what the dream means. So in the context of this little story, we see that this word scripture is dropped. Right. So what is scripture? He says scripture is truth. And in the context of the story, Scripture is revealed by God, and it's also interpreted by God. Those are very important details, right? We don't get to just grab a hold of Scripture and come up with whatever interpretation we want. We've got to stick to what God means by what God says. Well, how do we know that? We're going to see that in a little bit, all right? So in the New Testament, we see that Scripture, you know, there's there's quote after quote, verse after, after verse that talks about Scripture being fulfilled, well, scripture we just saw is truth. Well, if, if it's true, but it hasn't happened yet, well, it's prophecy, right? Uh, Mark 15, 18 says, and the scripture was fulfilled. Luke 4, 21 says, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. John 10, 35 says, the scripture cannot be broken. It's truth, right? That's what he's saying. Acts 1, 16 says, scripture must needs have been fulfilled, that's a fancy way of saying, if God said it, it's true, right? It's going to come true. It might not have yet, but it will. And God's track record thus far is perfect and will continue as such. So other than that God has something to say, what is, what is the purpose of Scripture? We see that in the New Testament. We see it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It, it comes from God. We just saw that in Daniel and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, that's mature, truly furnished unto all good works. So, so why did God give us a scripture? Why did God communicate in the first place? Because he cares about us. Because he wants us to become his sons and daughters. He wants us to grow in his nurture and admonition, right? He wants us to grow up to be like him, like his son. 
he gives us instruction in righteousness. There was a guy in Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian eunuch. He's traveling along, he's, he's reading the word of God, he doesn't know what he's reading. He's like Pharaoh. I've got, I've got this message from God, and I don't have any interpretation. I don't know what to do with this. It's kind of the same as a dream, right? If you look in Acts 8, 27 through 31, it says, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship, worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? <laughs> you know what you're even reading there, bud? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? I need somebody to interpret for me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So God has spoken. This man has a chunk of the Old Testament. He's reading it. He doesn't understand what he's reading. He needs somebody to interpret. And we'll see in a little bit what what was interpreted for him. But just like Daniel, who is the interpreter? Who's he he looking for? Who, who Who did God send? Somebody who understood already. Right? Somebody who had the answers. Number two on your sheet is that God is the interpreter of his message. God has a message of, of peace. We don't always understand what that message is. God is the interpreter. He's going to help us. So back in our story, in Genesis 41, verses 15 and 16, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. There is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. God gave you the vision in the first place. Oh, yeah, you don't know what that means? God's going to give you the the clarification, too. He's going to interpret what he meant by what he said every time. Genesis chapter 40, this is where we skipped. There was two guys that had dreams. Verse 5. It says, they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man in his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And the butler and the baker and, not the candlestick, I don't, is there a, that doesn't, that's, that just makes me really old. Rub-a-dub-dub. The uh, king of Egypt, okay, they, these were servants of the king of Egypt. I got really distracted there, that was, they were bound up in prison. Uh, Verse 6, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me what your dreams were, right? The interpretation belongs to God. You got a message from God? You better ask him what it means. Oh, I happen to know him. Let me just, let me hear it, let me hear you out. Right? Joseph had the inside track. Second Peter chapter 1 is, is an incredible little passage. Peter is talking here. In verse 16, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses 
of his majesty. All right, so not only did Peter walk with Christ while Christ was on the earth, he got to see an incredible thing on a mountaintop one day. Right? It says, For he received from God the, the Father honor and glory, and there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice came from heaven, we heard, when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter and James and John get to go up to the mountaintop with, with Jesus. Jesus peels back his flesh. They get to see a glimpse of his glory. They hear from heaven God say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine experiencing that? That, I mean, that gives me goosebumps just thinking about what would that be like? Life changing. Check out what Peter has to say about that event. Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy than the experience that we had on the mountaintop. We have God's word. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, check this out, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not up to us to make up what God said. God meant what he meant by what he said, You've got to ask him what he meant. And we'll get into how we do that in just a minute. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God had a message. He moved through men, some to speak it, others to write it. It's script. It's scripture now, right? They were moved by the Holy Ghost. So how do we understand it? How do we get this interpretation? We've got this Bible. I don't understand all of it. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. That's our vain imaginations. That's, you know, private interpretation. Not in that which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So what are the spiritual things that we're to compare? Well, it's... It's the, the things that the Holy Ghost teaches. It's, it's Scripture, right? Where did we get Scripture? Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. Those are the spiritual things. We compare spiritual things with spiritual. We par- compare Scripture with Scripture to understand what God means by what God says. We saw the, the first mention of a term. God establishes a definition most often the first time he uses a term. So we know how that word is used. We know how the word scripture is meant to be used. We understand because in the context, God says scripture is truth. And in the context, God is the one revealing it and God is the one interpreting. So how did we figure that out? Well, we compared what God said with what God said somewhere else. All right? So that's how we get our interpretation. Check this out a little bit later. Second Peter so you know, it gets confusing when, when all we had, what if we, what if we were like this Ethiopian eunuch and all we had was the Old Testament, man? Well, that'd be a tough one, right? We would need some dude alongside the road that just miraculously appears to tell us what that meant. And that's how God did it at that time. But we have more. Check this out in Second Peter chapter 3. Peter's talking, after he talks about this incredible event on the mountaintop and a more sure word of prophecy, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, an account, 
that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Right? The fact that Jesus Christ can wait as long as he has waited is how we get in. Right? He's patient. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles or his letters that he wrote, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which when they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist. All right, so Paul wrote some things and they were hard to be understood. And there was other things that he wrote that were easy to be understood. And it says that, that there's people twisting the words that Paul delivered. And it, check this, this statement out. As they do also the other scriptures. You know what Peter just did there? He equated Paul's letters with the other scriptures. Paul, the, the letters that Paul wrote, most of our New Testament is scripture inspired by God for us to now know what do we do today? How do, we, how do we as the church, how do we as individual Christians, how are we supposed to walk this walk? What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to take those awesome stories in the Old Testament and compare them to these incredible letters in the New Testament. We're supposed to take spiritual things and compare them to spiritual things. And we get God's interpretation, God's understanding, God's purpose and meaning for what he said and why he said it. What are we supposed to do with these things? Well, you read it, you compare it, and, and you obey it, right? Back in Genesis, Pharaoh said unto Joseph in verse 39, For as much as God hath showed thee all these things, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. There's something cool right there. Who is it that we know of in the New Testament that only in the throne is there one greater than he? That's our Lord Jesus Christ who sits on the right hand of the Father in heaven right now. There's only one greater than Christ. It's the Father, right? In heaven. Who Christ follows his will. We figure that out by comparing scripture with scripture. Pharaoh had no clue what he was saying. But God just used it, didn't he? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. God is going to set Christ over all the world one day. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, a gold chain about his neck, and made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all, all the land of Egypt, a picture of the world. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a cool picture that is. And Pharaoh had no idea what he was talking about. But God preserved his word perfectly with that incredible picture right there for us. Right? They cried before him, bow the knee. <laughs> Come on. How cool is that? We understand when we get to those verses in the New Testament that say the same thing, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What, what an awesome book. Genesis 41, 57 says, And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn. 
because the famine was so sore in all the land. So this brings us to point number three. All the, all the countries came to Egypt to Joseph. He's a picture of Christ. The message is, right? So God has a message of peace. He's the interpreter of the message. The message is this. All must go through one man for salvation. Right, we saw that. We saw the story of the, the Ethiopian eunuch. We left off in uh, verse 31. Uh, reading that verse again, it says that he said, how can I, except some man should guide me, how, sh- how can I understand this? And he desired Philip that he would show or come up and sit with him. <coughs> Excuse me. The place of the scripture we, which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb, dumb before his shearer, he couldn't speak, or didn't speak. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him. Jesus. What an awesome picture that is, right? Who is this lamb that didn't speak up? Who is this, this spotless, perfect lamb who laid himself down, who said, not my will, but thine be done, Lord? He didn't speak against it, did he? He took it. He didn't defend himself. He laid his life down willingly. And as they went on their way, there came to certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What, what, what's keeping me from getting in that water and getting baptized right now? I've, I've, seen, you know, I've seen these guys get baptized, these followers of Jesus and all this stuff. What's that all about? And Philip said, check this out, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You see, the water doesn't do anything for you. Getting in the water doesn't do anything for you. Going under the water doesn't do anything for you. If thou believest with all thine heart, that's salvation. And check out this guy's answer. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's salvation. Right? That's the message of peace. That's the message of peace that we have. That that all of the world's got to go through this one man if they're going to eat. Joseph's the only one with food. Jesus is the only one with salvation. It's the only way. John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, I'm I'm going to be leaving. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and ye know the way. And, and the way ye know. Sorry, I'm saying it backwards. And so Thomas says, saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Right, so Thomas hasn't been paying attention. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to go to heaven? It's through Jesus Christ. 
You want a relationship with God? It's through Jesus Christ. Where I'm going, Thomas, is heaven. I'm going to prepare a place there for you. Oh, that's where you're going. Well, how do I get there? Through Jesus Christ, the one man. The one man who has corn in all of the world, right? The only one who has salvation. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's only one way. There's all kinds of different religions out there. There's one way to salvation. I always like the simple math comparison. There are an infinite number of wrong answers to two plus two. There's one correct answer. There are, there are such things as absolutes. Jesus Christ is absolutely the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Acts 4.12 4, says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord is Jesus. And we see that in Romans 10.9 and 10. It says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, God has a message. He has an incredible message of peace. And he has interpreted that for you through his word and the things that we've seen. And that message is, there is one man. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. There's one man who can deliver salvation. So in conclusion, we're going to look back at Genesis 41 here in a second. In conclusion, there's a note on there. When, when God speaks, you should have a reaction. When God speaks, you should have a reaction. I spelled it that way, re-action, because there's an action required when God gives you an instruction. And we see that in Genesis 41, verses 33. It's, kinda, it's really cool, because Joseph says, hey, this is, this is what your dream means, this is what your dream means. It's all one dream. There's stuff coming. God's showing you what he's going to do. This is what you need to do. There's some action. There's a response. Or there's no reason for you even to know what God had said in the first place. If you're not going to do it, I'm wasting my breath, right? <laughs> That's basically what's going on. So check it out. He says, now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out on a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let him gather all the food of those good years and come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. It's action word after action word after action word. Look, God has shown you what he's going to do. There's bad things coming. There's judgment coming. There's a massive drought coming. But there's a deliverer. There's a way out. There's an action you can take. And, and if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you can take that action at any time. 
right? He has provided the way. He is the provided way. And, it, and it's faith in him. It's belief that what he did on the cross is enough. It is the only enough. It's the only way. So if you're here tonight and, and you don't know him, man, don't, don't allow tonight to go by without making that decision. He's asking you to turn over your sinful, broken self for his righteousness. Amen. What an incredible trade. He's asking you to trust what he did on the cross, that, that it's enough for you. He's asking you to place your faith in him as Lord and Savior. It's, it doesn't get any better. Galatians 3.22 says, the, the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith, or promise by faith, of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. We are saved by the gospel. What is the gospel? If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The, the promises that God made and revealed and interpreted as truth. So if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, man, make, make today the beginning of your relationship with Christ. Make today the beginning of your eternity. If you're here tonight and you're saved, we, we have a message of peace, don't we? We have an incredible message of peace that we already have had interpreted for us. And we know how to help other people interpret it. Ephesians 6.15 is in the middle of the, the, the uh, armor of God. It says we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are we ready to walk out of here? Are we prepared? Romans 10, 13, we have already read this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. <clears throat> but verse 14 continues on. It says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You you can't call on the name that you don't believe in as Savior, right? That doesn't work. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So the question we have to ask ourselves, why haven't they heard? Why haven't my friends heard? My friends. Why, why hasn't my family heard that I'm around? How shall they hear without a preacher? Because I haven't, I haven't preached the gospel. I haven't shared. How shall they preach except they be sent? As We've been sent, by the way. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You see, there's, there's a judgment coming. It's undeniable. Every single one of us will be judged. Not because I'm special, but because Christ is. I'm going to stand before Christ, and God's not going to judge me as a sinner. He's going to judge me as a son. And it's going to be totally different than if I didn't know Christ. 
and I have friends, and I have family that aren't going to be in the same judgment. It's up to me to open my mouth. Because God has a message of peace. And he's called us to be his messengers. It's, it's time we get, get our gospel shoes on and get walking out, right? Now let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for a simple, very simple truth that is your gospel. That, that you made a way for us to not have to suffer judgment and torture of eternity. You knew that we were sinful and that we had separated, separated ourselves from you and, and you made a way back. And we're so thankful for that. And I just pray that if anybody's here that maybe they don't completely understand what all that means, I pray you give them the courage to ask. I pray you give us the wisdom to, to share. And Lord, I pray you give us hearts for people like you have. We just read a verse that says, your long-suffering is our salvation. You have been so patient with us. And we're still here, and there's still so many that, that don't know you. Lord, move our hearts towards people. Help us to, to be bold in opening our mouths and inviting them in and showing them the truth, the message of peace that you have for them. We love you. I pray that this song is a, a glorifying sound in your ear. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.